Welcome to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley, and joining me today is Stan the Fan Charles from Pressbox and PressboxOnline.com. Stan, thanks for joining the show today. My pleasure to be here, Paul. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Absolutely, I am as well. And Stan, the Orioles have lost four games in a row now for the seventh time this season. Uh, they lost last night to the uh, Yankees 11-4. David Hess, another poor performance. Five innings pitched, eight hits, nine earned runs, another three home runs allowed to increase his major league leading total to 17 now. ZRA's up to 675. He's just not getting it done. No, David is having a real rough go, very reminiscent of when he came up last year initially. Well, actually, initially he had two or three good starts. Then there was a period of about six or seven starts where that team was still really trying to win at the major league level. Uh, they weren't into the total rebuild yet, so they sent him down to the minors to get refined a little bit, came back up, and actually put strung together in the second half of the year about eight or nine starts that were very respectable, giving you the idea that with this new regime here, with Michael Elias, Sigmaidal, and the deep dive into analytics, that maybe they would figure a little something out and improve David Hess hasn't worked at all. This has been a miserable season for David Hess. I certainly agree. And you mentioned the last eight or nine starts. It was actually his last 10 starts last year. He pitched to a 3.88 ERA, yep. which, like you said, left a lot to be hopeful for for this season. You know, he's got that mid-90s fastball, but unfortunately he likes to throw it up in the zone. And when you throw up in the zone in the mid-90s, major league hitters knock it out of the ballpark a lot of, a lot of the time. Yeah, they knock it out of the ballpark. And his, his repertoire <laughs> doesn't you know, the thing about pitching, if you don't have 98, you know, and an incredible, one incredible pitch, if you got three or four pieces to your repertoire that you keep the hitters off balance and you and you control the ball, you know, uh, have, have good mechanics and can command your stuff, that was the word I was looking for, you can, you can get by without, without 98, 97. But David Hess just doesn't have the... the added pitch repertoire that he has hitters off stride at all. Well, right. And I remember I did a uh, spot on a uh, AM radio station last year, and they were talking to me about David Hess before he got called up. Yeah. And I believe David Hess at one point um, was an acclaimed minor league pitcher in this organization. I think he won an organizational pitcher of the year a few years back. Sounds right. Yeah. But I said to them, I don't think the Orioles like his arm. I didn't think that there was a lot to be hopeful about with David Hess. And then he came up, he had that, his first start, he gave three runs against Tampa Bay in the first inning and then nothing else. He looked good, had a little bit of the fluctuation in the middle of the season and then pitched well down the stretch. But I think we're seeing more now of what I was talking about last year where his arm just maybe isn't right for rotation spots. Do you think that maybe he has a future in the bullpen if he wants to stay at the major league level? I think that based on what I have seen right now, and it's very clear after last night's post-game press conference, which was very short, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, that Brandon Hyde, he made it very clear right now that there isn't any help. There's no cavalry coming uh, behind David Hess right now or Dan Straley, the two most problematic parts of this rotation. They're not quite at the point, and I applaud them for this, they're not quite at the point where they're ready to bring up Keegan Aiken and say, hey, you, you dive out into that deep water. They want to see Keegan Aiken maybe string together 10 or 12 dominant starts at AAA. Maybe after the All-Star break, we start talking about bringing Keegan Aiken right now. 
So, you know, one of the things when you say they didn't really like David Hess's arm, remember, David Hess is the, the last of the Mohicans after they traded Eduardo Rodriguez for Miller, Josh Hader in the Bud Norris deal, right. and Zach Davies. Those are three pretty good major league arms that the Orioles don't have because Dan Duquette was trying to win now uh, and development be damned, and uh, this is what we have now. There is not anything really ready at AAA to help this team right now. Right, and that Zach Davies trade is probably the one that stings the most because this is a guy who tied for the National League lead a couple of years ago and wins, has pitched to a sub-4 ERA in his young career, and all the Orioles got out of that was Hiroto Parra, who for was two, here for two months, two it, months it's, and he was substandard. It's one thing if you trade, if you say, this guy can help us win this year and we'll re-sign him and he'll be our right fielder for three or four years. Then it makes sense to give up a Zach Davies. To give up a Zach Davies, and again, he was not an A prospect, but he was a solid enough guy that had an upside. To me, I don't give him up for two months of Gerardo Parra. Especially when Gerardo Parra didn't help you win. They were 500 Well, that made it even worse, yeah. That made it even worse. And a two-month rental who helps you finish 500 is not worth a Zach Davies. Look, I know we're talking about now because this regime is in place now. But if you look at what the ball club did to chase right field after they let Marquecas go. And again, Marquecas had a very serious injury. I'm a... You see my scar back there? Yes, sir, I do. I have cervical fusion surgery myself. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to play Major League Baseball anyway because I stunk. But Nick Marquecas, <laughs> who was a pretty good Major League ball player, there were some real doubts if a Major League player, I don't think there are too many of them, having the kind of success that Nick Marquecas has had after a cervical fusion surgery. Remember Nolan Reimold? Mm-hmm. Never made it back to being anything after that. that. So look at what we chased, though, after Marquecas' injury. Traded Stephen Brawl, Tarpley, to the uh, Pirates for Travis Snyder, mm-hmm. and then made the uh, Para deal, trying to chase some statistics in right field. And I'll tell you, I was I actually wrote an article when the Orioles didn't re-sign Nick Marquecas saying that I understood because of the neck injury. Yep. Now, we're all looking back on that with hindsight being 2020. They still haven't replaced him. Treatments, he's been adequate in yeah. right field this year. But, I mean, Marquecas was a silver slugger and an all-star last year and a gold glove winner in the fourth year of that four-year contract. Look, it's, it, you know, it's ancient history now. They are right. what they are now. But you look at that 2014 offseason – where they made no effort to sign Andrew Miller, yet a year later they gave the same amount of money, essentially within $4 million, to Darren O'Day, which was a disastrous contract. But they didn't sign Miller, they didn't sign Marquecas, and they let Nelson Cruz go all at once. And that's really the turning point of of the Duquette regime. And that's why the Orioles are where they are right now. Uh, To tie this all in, we talk about how who's going to come up to replace David Hester, Dan Straley, both pitching terribly this year. Keegan Aiken would be the only one. He's not quite ready yet. And after that, the Orioles' best pitchers are all at buoy or below. Yeah. And it really just goes to show that this farm system is barren. And, yeah, you, you pay the price, you know, to, to stay in contention. You traded Water Rodriguez for Andrew Miller. Without Andrew Miller, did the Orioles win the division in 2014? You trade... You know, for for Feldman, you trade Arietta for Feldman because you think that maybe he can help you. You trade uh, Hater uh, for Bud Norris. Hater for Bud Norris. So you deplete your farm system, 
And now this is what happens when you deplete your farm system. You have to start from the ground up again. You know what really hurt with the Bud Norris thing, too? And, and Bud, from I, I didn't know Bud personally very well, but I've heard, wasn't the greatest guy in your clubhouse and right. those kind of things. But what really stings me is you trade a, a hater, and granted, he wasn't what he became when we traded him. Right. You get Bud Norris, he has that real good season, the second season, mm -hmm. wins 15 games for you. When it goes south, there was no experimentation, like because I, there were a lot of people when we acquired him who said he's a closer in waiting or a late inning guy. Mm -hmm. They never experimented with him, so they gave up Josh Hader for him and never reaped the benefits of the latter Bud Norris, who was pretty good for three years as a relief pitcher. Yeah, he, he was pretty good. He was, he was. I think the uh, was it the Cardinals' main closer. Cardinals' or? main closer last season and the previous year because. To, uh, Due to an injury to what's his name, uh, the guy who served as his own agent—I can't remember I his can't name remember right his now. Name, but but he Angels, was their right? closer with the Angels. He got hurt. Somebody else got hurt, and they had Bud Norris signed as a fringe guy. He saved about 16 games with the Angels the year before that. Been very serviceable uh, yep. in in a relief role. Uh, you look at Orioles pitchers right now. There's nobody in a relief role that leaves any kind of hope for you. Uh, you thought that maybe it could be Jimmy Yacobonis. You thought maybe it could be Tanner Scott because their stuff plays. They have nasty stuff, but they can't consistently throw strikes. Now you have guys like Sean Armstrong and Brandon Klein coming into games and Miguel Castro, who more often than not is a dumpster fire. Who's going to be a reliever for this team in the future? I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic about the way the bullpen will shake out in the short term because I think in the, in the, in the longer term, I don't think Mike Givens will be a member of the Orioles after, say, no, no doubt by about July 1st. Okay. I think he'll be moved in a deal. But I like Brandon Klein's arm is tremendous. Uh, Sean Armstrong last year is a very interesting guy, and it's really ironic. They pick up Sean Armstrong when he's released DFA'd by Seattle. Mm -hmm. Seattle picks up Mike Wright, so it was essentially a trade. Both of them went to the same college. They were on the same pitching staff. I think together. I saw that they were college roommates. They were college roommates. That's, that's right. Uh, Sean Armstrong last year, remember, he was in that, that Cleveland Indian bullpen about three or four years ago, mm -hmm. only got a cup of coffee up in the big leagues a couple times because they had Cody Allen, because they had Andrew Miller, because they had uh, Brian Shaw. Um, so he didn't get a real shot there in Seattle last year in the, the last six weeks of the season, he had 13 out of 14 scoreless outings. Now, Buck Showalter always warned us about judging players in September, right. but they were in contention. Those games were meaningful. They were in contention for a playoff spot. Uh, he got injured this spring. The bullpen fell apart in Seattle. I was surprised that Seattle let him go that easily. I think we got ourselves a guy who might be the closer when we trade Givens. You know, I don't say he's a top-notch closer, but I think he's a guy, Klein, and I'll tell you who else I think is finally on the right track is Richard Blyer. So I'm a little bit more optimistic about the bullpen. I sure wish that David Hess could be a part of you. To get back to your question from five minutes ago, <laughs> that's really where I think Hess's only future is in the big leagues, is shorter outings where hitters only face him one time. And I think that, you know, if he's showing he can throw 95, 96 consistently through five, six innings as, as a big league starter, he can probably notch it up to 98. 
if, if, if he's only in stand. for an inning and a third or an inning and two thirds, I agree with you. I think his stuff would play a little bit better there. And I think the problem they have is they need, sometimes organizations need to sell their own players on the importance of that position. I go back, because I'm old now, uh, Paul, I go back to Arthur Rhodes, who mm-hmm. was sort of like, he was sort of like a, well, he was a higher-end prospect than David Hess, but he was sort of like a David Hess 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I used to debate Kevin Malone, who was the assistant general manager, when, when, when Arthur Rhodes was struggling as a starter, I said, this guy is a bullpen guy. And he would say, no, no, he's got top-end stuff. He ended up being a star relief pitcher. He was never really the closer, but he made a lot of money, probably made $50 million being a guy that came in in the sixth, seventh innings uh, and had a good 15, 16-year career. They need to sell their player on how important that is, not, well, you're a failed starter, so we're going to throw you in. Every relief pitcher is probably a failed starter right, probably. at some point. Yeah. At some point, if you're going to make it to the major leagues, you're probably starting yeah. at some point in your career. And I do remember Arthur Rhodes very well. That ninety-seven, that great 97 Orioles team had five pitchers win 10-plus games. Yeah. Arthur Rhodes was one of them, and he did that exclusively out of the bullpen. Yeah. I thought he was one of the best bullpen arms that I can remember for the I, Orioles. I'm also a big believer, this is a mantra that I used to use on the radio back when I did talk radio, there are certain players, and this is, we're talking about pitchers, a, a starting pitcher has four days in between his starts, you know, to work. And mm-hmm. I think there are certain performers that need to come to the ballpark and not know whether they're going to be pitching that night or not. So they're always on a little bit of an edge rather than what am I doing these four days? And Arthur just seemed like he was much more locked in coming to the ballpark knowing, hey, I may need to pitch tonight, so i got to be on top of my my game mentally. Oh, you cannot overstate the mental part of yeah. the game. Most of this game is played between the ears. That's yeah. why slumps happen, and that's why you know great, great outbursts happen because you're locked in or you're not locked in, and it's all between the ears. Um, now, with the pitching having let the Orioles down last night, and in the last three games they've been outscored 31-11, to 11, it wasn't necessarily the pitching. Even though they gave up 10 runs on Monday, it was the defense that let the Orioles down. And all season, I've been preaching that this game, uh, this season is not about wins and losses. It's about mm. how they're playing the games. It's about growth and fundamentals. And the Orioles were far from fundamental on Monday. Dwight Smith had two bad overthrows um, that led to runs, one in the ninth inning specifically. Joey Rickard also had an ill-advised sort of third base in the ninth inning. And then... Uh, Pedro uh, Severino Severino has a pop-up that he's nowhere near catching. And the next thing you know, that same batter, Gary Sanchez, hits a game-winning three-run homer a couple of pitches later. The Orioles are not good enough to make up for those mistakes, especially against a team like the Yankees. What are you seeing from this team? Because to me, it's been a letdown of of late. Well, you make some interesting points there. Uh, The Severino play, I'm, I'm not giving him a... 100% 100% hall pass on that, but when people say, I, I thought this team was going to be good with the fundamentals, that ball was an incredibly high pop-up. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mitigate against the fact he should have had the ball, but I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass. I haven't seen that be a problem with Pedro, but the outfield uh, throwing to the wrong bases, overthrowing cutoff people, uh, those things, it's real hard to tolerate. 
I don't know what Dwight Smith was thinking when he tried to throw the guy out, you know, one run and then gives up you know, a position, an important position by overthrowing the cutoff person. Look, I go back again from the days in the, like the mid-80s when the Orioles had a guy named Jim Dwyer. Mm -hmm. And when Jim Dwyer was on the bench, people were always clamoring for Jim Dwyer. And because he would come in and pinch hit roll or a day, somebody would have a day off and they'd say, you gotta play Jim Dwyer more. And all of a sudden, somebody would get hurt for two weeks and you'd see Dwyer for 12, 13 days in a row, the warts start to show. Mm -hmm. You start to see why he's really a fourth outfielder, very good fourth outfielder. My fear with Dwight Smith is he's been tremendous up to this point. I think now we're, he's getting exposed the warts in his game. Mm -hmm. His defense is not really, it's not top-notch defense uh, when you have the whole package together. Has some trouble at the warning track on wall, wall balls, so to speak, overthrowing the cutoff people, and I think he's about to crater a little bit offensively now mm -hmm. as well. We're seeing Renato Nunez have that same problem with the, the extended slump he's had. Um, look, they, they piece together this team to not be embarrassing. And for the first 30, 30 games, they were pretty entertaining, pretty interesting. Last 15 games has been a real challenge for this team, given the issues twice a week with the starting pitching, mm -hmm. where you really, and that bullpen has been, uh, you know, uh, a catch as catch can thing. And now you're having some issues with players maybe reaching a, uh, like a wall so to speak. Right, and with Dwight Smith, something I've noticed with him in the outfield is a lot of times on balls hit into the gap uh, that, that are catchable balls. Yeah. He and the center fielder almost run into each other a lot more than I see from any other team that I watch play. The Orioles, <clears throat> from day one this season, I have seen, it started out, it's interesting you say that, it started out casual little bumps between outfielders, mm -hmm. and it's gotten much more where they really have some communication issues there. Some of that might be Wilkerson being a nouveau in center field, who I think has done overall a really fine job He's in center well. field. Uh, but Dwight Smith, I think we're beginning to see some of the issues. I remember I got into trouble with Adam Jones uh, the year, remember the year they got Nate McLeod? Mm -hmm. Early in that season, the Angels needed relief pitching. And I put on Twitter, and my digital person tweeted it to Adam Jones, uh, tweeted the fact that I said that uh, the Orioles ought to look to the Angels to get Peter Borges because left field was such a disaster. Mm -hmm. So I said, you may ask why I'm saying they should acquire Peter Borges, who's a great center fielder, when we have Adam Jones. I said, well, Jones could play left field. He never let me live that down. But six weeks after that tweet, they picked up Nate McLeod. Suddenly, balls that were routinely gap in the gap, the left center field gap, they were being caught by Nate McLeod because he covered so much ground. Dwight Smith does not have that kind of range as an outfield. And he certainly doesn't. And it, it, the thing that's probably the most painful about watching these outfield blunders is that they're being made by the actual outfielders on the roster. Dwight Smith, Joey Rickard, who I think consistently throws to the wrong base. Yeah. You have an, an infielder playing center field and an infielder playing right field, and they're not the ones making the mistakes out there. It's your outfielders. 
moving on a little bit, speaking about some of those some of those players, Trey Mancini. He's an infielder playing right field. He is potential trade bait for the Orioles this year. Now it's been back and forth, back and forth. You wrote an article about this last week yep. uh, for PressBoxOnline.com, and you don't think that Trey Mancini is going anywhere. I think he is. Okay. Your your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are, or first of all, <clears throat> to me, if aside from maybe the Cleveland Indians who have a disaster in their outfield upon them, you know, I mean, their their outfield is terrible. I don't think Trey. I love Trey. Think mm -hmm. he's going to be a real solid player, um, you know, bordering on on a perennial near all star type of player. I think during a rebuild, you do need to give the fans some familiar faces. It can't be all pare it down, keep paring it down, and getting prospects. I think you have to give a face to the franchise, and I think that Trey both provides you that face. And I don't think he provides you enough in return right now. Now, given if he has finishes this season at over 300, 27 homers, 85 RBIs, maybe in the offseason I could see him bringing, maybe if you package something with him, maybe bringing you a couple prospects that are worthwhile. Right now, I don't see anybody giving us a top 100 prospect for Trey Mancini. That's why I think he's going to end up being part of the face of this future. And you know as well as I do, Paul, that he's not, they're not obligated to trade him. It's not right. like he's facing free agency. They control him rather cheaply. And I think right now the, the club is, is in a little bit of financial morass um, uh, right now where they need, uh, they need some cheap, good ball players on this team. Well, and the thing about Trey, we've talked about it at length on the show in the past, 27 years old. He's, yep. he's not 23, he's not 24, he's 27 years old. Him. When the rebuild is done, he'll be in his 30s, right? Um, he's got three years of team control left, which is why I think he's an enticing trade option. He's a, the best hitter on the team, the best mm -hmm. player on the team by a wide margin right now. The reason I think that he gets traded, and I've had a long time to think about this, there's a log jam, right? He's not an outfielder. He's really a first baseman who's playing the outfield. You have Chris Davis at first base. You have Ryan Mountcastle in the minor leagues who's playing who's playing first base. Chance Sisko, who I don't think is going to be a catcher. He'll never the major be league a catcher level. with the Orioles. I, he's either going to play first base, DH, or, DH. or they'll move him to the to outfield. To the outfield, right. Right? So for me, you say that you have to have these players that fans want to come out to see. You have to have somebody with recognition. If the Orioles trade Mancini, they call up Mountcastle. They call up DJ Stewart. DJ mm -hmm. Stewart gets his time in right field. Mountcastle plays first base in the platoon split with, with Davis. Uh, splits that between DH and first base. That's players that people want to see, and you're getting prospects back for Trey Mancini. Uh, you, you argue you make a good case, and I can tell you've thought this through. Um, I, I think, remember, they've had one player that they thought they were going to have that was going to be the DH this year who hasn't given them one at bat his $13 million will come off the books next year. That's true. So at, at, uh, there is a scenario that next year Davis and Mancini could split time between first base and DH, and DJ Stewart or Austin Hayes or Mullins gets back in the uh, outfield picture. I'll tell you, you mentioned the name DJ Stewart. There's one player on the Orioles right now, and I mean no disrespect to him. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Did a nice Royal Farms commercial his first year. 
That's Joey Rickard. Mm -hmm. If I if I didn't see number twenty three in the Oriole uniform again, it would be no great loss to me. I've seen Joey Rickard. We know what Joey Rickard is. You know, he's a fifth outfielder on most likely a losing team, like he is now, where he's the fourth outfielder on a bad team. Right. DJ Stewart is somebody that I'm finding his numbers because there's a lot of preaching about how many at-bats you should have in the minor leagues before you really make it in the major leagues. Mm -hmm. Brady Anderson, I remember he didn't make it until he had about 1,500 minor league at-bats. That's about the number, too. That's about the number. And DJ Stewart is probably beyond that 1,500. And if you look at what he's doing in Norfolk, he's first of all, he's a pretty streaky hitter. Mm -hmm. But his he's nudged his on-base percentage over 400 right now, right. which is pretty remarkable. He's hitting 293. And he, his walks to strikeouts, he's walked more times than strikeouts. Ryan Mountcastle, who everybody thinks is the next thing, 36 to 8. Now, he's hitting 315, 318 or something like that. There's no, no question his battle play in the big leagues. But I'm reminded of that, that spring training story from 2018 when Buck Showalter said, I, I noticed you only walked 13 times last year. Right. And the kid said, yeah, isn't that something? Like, kind of chuckled about that. Buck Scholler said, why are you chuckling about that? That's not funny. That's what you need to learn how to do, is get on base. 345 at AAA, it's good. But 36 to 8, and it's against AAA pitching, I'm seeing a guy that still needs more development. DJ Stewart, though, I think, is ready for his star turn, or, or at least to find out what we can about DJ Stewart. Part of a year of development or in a rebuild is finding out what you have. We know what we have with Joey Rickert, and it's not very good. DJ Stewart might be a perfectly serviceable DH outfielder, pinch runner, you know. I mean, he's not your prototypical pinch runner, but he's he runs speed. the bases well. Uh, for a burly guy, he right. moves pretty quick. I'm anxious to see DJ Stewart. I've seen enough of Joey Rickert. I agree, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, we're going to come back in just a minute with more from Stan Charles from PressBoxOnline.com. But first, we get a word from our, sponsor, from our sponsor, DNL Professional Window Tinting. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. And still here with me today is Stan the Fan Charles from PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Stan, we were just talking about Trey Mancini and his potential um, value as a trade chip. And one of the things I want to talk about, you have the draft coming up, yeah. right? And so the Orioles have the number one pick in the draft for the second time ever in franchise history. As we all know, they took the pitcher out of LSU, Ben McDonald, uh, back in 1989 with that first 30 picking. years ago. Yeah, and he actually made his major league debut, like, what, two weeks after he got drafted? Something like that. Something crazy. But the thing about the number one pick, everybody thinks it's going to be Adley Rutschman. Yeah, but that's there's, what the consensus seems to be. Right. But there's also talk that the Orioles could sign maybe a lesser player so they can spend less money so they have more money for later draft picks. 
The other two players in the draft that could go number one, Bobby Witt Jr., the uh, big-time five-star player out of, out of Georgia. Texas. High school student in Texas. Right, I was thinking of the center fielder out of yep. Georgia. Um, and then you have Andrew Vaughn, the, first, the collegiate first baseman, who they say his bat is big league ready. He can make his debut as early as next year. Yeah. If the Orioles are going to go for the slot value, or the lesser slot value, you would think it would be Andrew Vaughn. That's right? what it, that's what most of the consensus is, is if the Orioles don't pick, if they want to go that route of trying to get two players and get a second player with the number one pick in the second round and overpay him, you know, somebody that might be borderline going back to college or not, and pay over slot for him by getting the first pick under slot. Right. Well, that, that Vaughn would be the pick. The reason that I mentioned Trey Mancini in the same sentence is I think that Trey Mancini is the reason that they, is part of the reason that they don't uh, sign Vaughn, that, that they end up drafting Rutschman or even Witt, which I think that you're good either way. But it, it all goes back to that logjam thing. The same reason I think Trey Mancini is going to get traded is the same reason why I don't think that Andrew Vaughn is going to get drafted. The Orioles. After they don't really have a catcher in their system, right? They have Chance Cisco, who we both agree probably won't catch for this team. I don't see him catching for this team. They have they have Pedro Severino, who I think is destined to be a backup yeah. for his career. Yeah. Austin Wins, I think we've seen the best that we're ever going to see from Austin Wins. So really, Rutschman, he fills a need there. He comes in and he grows with a young pitching staff, which is what you want. His, his defensive game, his pitch framing, his pitch calling is far superior than what most people at his le most players at his level have. That's somebody that you want to grow with the young pitching staff because like we said, all the Orioles pitchers are at you know single A or double A right now, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there, there's a there's a, a lot of reasons to want to pick you know uh, Adlai Rutschman. There's no question about it. The the pick of Bobby Witt is very sort of sexy pick, mm -hmm. uh, probably has a bigger upside than Vaughn or Rutschman, but with that upside comes a little bit of risk. Uh, one of the things that I look at is, is and, and I do it in the minor leagues, when I see like a, a Mason McCoy right now mm -hmm. hitting the, the hell out of the baseball at double A, where he was at A earlier, he's 24 years old. If you're not hitting the hell out of the ball at 23 or 24 at double A, chances are you don't have much talent. Right. So getting back to Bobby Witt, Witt's going to graduate high school as a 19-year-old. Yeah. So I'd just be a little, now look, <coughs> there's scouts I'm sure have seen him in some showcase events where he's playing with kids of his own age. But in high school, you put up big numbers and you're 17 or 18 playing against a, uh, an older 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, those guys are men to boys. I uh, wonder how much of those stats are are accumulated against younger players who shouldn't be able to get you out at 15 or 16. Right. At, at 19 years old, you're you're a man. Yeah. Right. Whereas 17, even at 17, is a two-year difference, but that's a big difference going from 17 to 19 years old. I graduated high school at 17 years old. I was I didn't turn 18 until two weeks into my freshman year yeah. of college. You know, and this guy's 19 years old when he graduates high school. I think that the knock on Witt is that he be, is his age, whereas the knock on Adley Rutschman is you're using number one overall pick on a guy who's only going to play 120 games yeah. a year. 
Well, I, you know, it's interesting how that, that term is being thrown or, or that phrase is being turn, t- thrown out there that he's only going to play 120 games. I, while I, I'd say the days of the 155, 160-game catcher are over, mm-hmm. I think 135 or 140, at least for the first three or four years when he's a major leaguer, is certainly doable. Uh, I don't think, you know, in the evolution of human beings that all of a sudden uh, you got to lock him in at 120 games. But it is a consideration, though, that catchers do get banged up uh, pretty quickly, and some of his skill set is awfully reminiscent to Matt Wieters. Now, I know he runs better than Matt. Matt ran like, uh, there's an old joke a friend of mine say, it's bad enough that he runs like he's got a piano on his back, <laughs> but does he have to stop between first and second and play it? Right. Uh, Matt Wieters was awfully slow. Rutschman runs fairly well. Um, you know, look, the consensus seems to be that Rutschman's the best player. My money would probably still be that the Orioles take Rutschman at this point in time. That's my feeling, too. And you look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They have Yadier Molina. He's in his 16th big league season. Yeah. He's still catching seven out of every eight games. Yeah. Matt, Matt Wieters, you speak of him, he's the backup in St. Louis. I don't even think he's reached 20 at bats yet. Uh, maybe 20, but maybe right around there. You know, he's maybe started four games or right. something like Yadier that. Yadier Molina is catching every single yeah. day, and he's in his mid-30s. So yeah. there's still that outlier of catchers who can catch that many games. Salvador Perez did it for the, for the Royals, sure. catching 140, 150 games a year. So, Rutschman, and he also has played first base yep. at, at, uh, at Oregon State. So, if they want to give him a day off but keep him in the lineup, you don't want to DH your, one of your catchers. Play him at first base. He can come in and be a defensive replacement behind the plate later in the game if you need. Remember one thing, Paul, about that, that, um, that log jam at first base. The club is not going to release Chris Davis this year. They most likely aren't going to release them next year. Right. But when you get to where that contract is down to one big bite to mm-hmm. let him go, unless he's producing more regularly like the Chris Davis of three or four years ago, or at least 60% of that, uh, much was made of this three-week, four-week period where he, he was hitting over 300, but the strikeouts are still accumulating. There's not that much production Right. So the, the club is not locked into Chris Davis for seven or eight more years. I'd say they're locked into him for this year and next year. After that, as this rebuild moves forward, I don't know that we're locked into him. Oh, I think that with this new regime, there's no loyalty to, yeah. Chris, to Chris Davis. There's loyalty to the money. Yeah. And at some point, I think that he's – I do not see Chris Davis seeing the end of that contract in an Orioles uniform. And once his playing days are done here, I don't think he plays again. I would tend to agree with you on that so. ball. All right, well, that's going to be about all the time that we have today. I want to thank Stan Charles for coming in and joining us today. Once again, he works over for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Stan, really pleasure having you in here today. Thanks Great so much for joining you, Paul. us. Thanks for inviting me. You too. Me. Absolutely. Hope to have you on again soon. Everybody, thank you again. I'm Paul Valley. This has been the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. Enjoy your day.